went to the doctor on Wednesday, and they told me that I have strep throat. Uh, got, uh, but I got an antibiotic, and after 24 hours, you're not contagious. So you are safe, I promise. In fact, I, uh, I even took Wednesday night off from the 662 so that I didn't infect, infect a bunch of teenagers and send them into our uh, county schools with strep throat. So uh, hopefully everyone is doing well. I know that there's been uh, just that kind of time of year where there's some sickness and junk floating around, but we are believing God uh, that he is a healer and he is a restorer. And, uh, man, I believe that he brought you here today to recover your spiritual momentum. Go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. We've been journeying through 2 Kings, looking at the life of Elisha the prophet. And today I want to talk to those of you who are living right now in a place of lack. You are in a place, you are in a situation in some area of your life, in some aspect of your life, where your need is greater than your supply. Where there is something that, that you do not have that you know right now, this is something I need. For you, that might be physical healing. For you, that might be a job situation. It might be financial. It might be resources. But I think the, the main application of this message will be in the area of finances and resources. But I, I do believe also that this will apply in many other areas of life if you are lacking something right now. Every time you announce that you're going to be talking about finances and resources in church, there's always a few people whose eyes just kind of glaze over like, oh, man, now this preacher's going to try to get my money. Uh, And uh, yes, I am. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Uh, That's not what this is about. Um, Man, I want you to know today that that God has something big for you. Man, I want you to know that, that we serve the God who has the cattle on a thousand hills, whose promise in Philippians 4.19 is that he shall supply all our need according to his reach, riches and glory. And if you're in a place of lack today, I want you to know that you may not have enough, but he does. In fact, he's got more than enough. Um, and, and I believe that it's my job as your pastor, my job as person who God has entrusted for this season to lead this church, uh, to, to preach God's word. And to preach it unashamedly, to make no excuses for it, to make no apologies for it. Um, And and I know some people might say, well, money isn't everything and you would be right. But when you don't have enough money, it affects everything. You know, like the the mortgage company isn't interested in your perfect 2013 church attendance. That's great, but that's not going to pay the mortgage. That's not going to stop them from foreclosing on your house. They're not interested in how good your private Bible study is going. They're not interested in the quality of your Daniel Fast prayer life. Uh, They are interested in money, and money definitely has an impact in our lives. And so I want to talk to people today who have lost momentum in the area of resources, who have lost momentum in the area of finances. And if that's not you today, if you are blessed and you are prospering and you're in a great place, first of all, I say praise God. Uh, And and secondly, I say that I do think there are ways that this message will apply outside of the financial and resource realm. It is not simply limited to that. But if you're here today and you don't have a job, or you don't have enough of a job, or you don't have the right job, or, or maybe you're here today and you're a business owner, maybe you've got your own business, 
Um, I know a lot of times when the economy goes bad, the people who are affected the most, the people who are stressed out the most, who are freaked out the most, who have the greatest difficulties, the hardest decisions to make are, are the people who actually own businesses, the people that you normally would look at with envy. Those are the people who have it the hardest. Like the great prophet Biggie Smalls once said, more money, more problems. Uh, and, and when stuff starts to fall apart, those people can be in the worst place. That was like a joke, just for the record. Biggie Smalls was not a prophet. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, we'll always love you, Papa. But anyway, uh, so we... That wasn't even in my notes. Uh, so <laughs> we all know what it's like to, to be in a position of lack. And the truth is, money can't buy a miracle. It can't. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much resource you have. I don't care what's in your bank account, your checking account, your Roth IRA. You can't buy a miracle. I mean, that's what I want to see you receive today. It's God's best for your life. I want to see you receive what God has for you. And so, in case you haven't noticed, money can't buy you out of depression. Money can't buy you your children's love. Money can't buy you physical health. It can't buy you out of a a desperate situation. It can't buy you out of suicidal tendencies. There's a whole lot of things that money cannot buy, and that's why we serve a God who is greater than money. A God who, who has so much more power and so much more ability than simply financial. So whether your need today is very practical and financial or whether it's deeper than that, I believe that Second Kings chapter 4 has something to communicate to you. So let's open God's word together starting in verse 1 of Second Kings chapter 4. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Listen to the desperation in this woman's voice. She said, your servant, my husband, is dead. It's a rough day. It's bad news to lose your spouse. A very devastating moment for anyone. She says, you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So not only has she lost her husband, man, the love of her life, but now she's about to lose the rest of her family as well. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Side note here, this isn't even necessarily connected to the message, but something I feel like somebody needs to hear. Notice he says, shut the door behind you. You know, sometimes the things that you do that God's calling you to do, you're going to have to shut the door behind you because your neighbors aren't going to understand, because the people around you aren't going to get it, and you're going to have to do it in the privacy of your own home. You're going to have to get on your face before God because everybody else is going to discourage you. They're going to steal your faith. They're going to tell you you're crazy. What are you doing? This is stupid. Sometimes the thing that God has for you isn't something you're going to do out in public in front of the whole world. Sometimes you've got to shut the door. I don't know who that was for, but that was for somebody says, verse 5, she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Then listen to this part. I love this. You and your sons can live on what is left. She didn't just get enough to pay the debt and keep her kids, but she got enough 
to survive and to move forward in life on. See, we serve a God who's not just enough. She didn't just have her need met that she was asking, how can I keep my kids? But we serve a God that's more than enough. He went above and beyond what she was asking, what she required. That's how awesome the God we serve is. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the chance to deliver this incredible word today. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it's been passed down from generation to generation, Lord, that men and women have laid down their lives, that we could hold the sacred words of our creator. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate hearts and minds today. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to people in a way that I never could. And Lord, I pray that, that the God of abundance, the God of more than enough, would show himself mighty in the lives of his people. We thank you for who you are and what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture shortly before I moved here in, in 2005 when Pastor Jason hired me to come be the youth pastor at Church on the Horizon, which is now City Church. Um, I had a chance to, to preach one time at my home church in North Carolina, nothing I've ever been able to do before or since. But I had one opportunity to do so, and at this point in my life, I think I'd only preached like four or five messages ever. Um, and so I got this opportunity to preach at my home church, and I preached 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7. I love this passage, love it. I could do a whole series just on this passage. I could preach so many things out of it. There's so many principles here. There's so many side notes and rabbits that we could chase that we're not going to be able to get into today. Uh, but today, I just want to show you five things from this message or from this passage that I think apply uh, to our situations when we are in a place of lack, whether that be in regards to, to finances or resources or, or something deeper or greater, something that money cannot buy. I'm going to give you these one by one, and I'm going to ask you to write them down, to, to write them on a sheet of paper, to help you remember them, to emblazon them on your heart, because I truly believe that God wants to speak to you today. Does anybody believe God's got something for him today? Amen. Praise God. First one is going to seem so obvious that you're going to be tempted not to write this one down. You're going to be tempted to say, okay, I already got this one. Why are we paying this guy? I know this for myself. Uh, trust me, I believe we need a strong foundation. If you're going to build something great, you've got to start with a firm foundation, and this is the greatest foundation we could ever start with. So number one thing we learn from this passage is simply go to God. Go to God. Verse 1, it says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, cried out to Elisha. Well, who was Elisha? Elisha was the head of all the prophets. A prophet was someone who was called and anointed by God to speak the words of God to the people, to proclaim God's truth to his people. So when she went to Elisha, she was going to the representation of God on earth. She was going to the person who was closest to God, who could give her the word of God. She was going to God. And now, you got to put yourself in this lady's situation. She's gone through the worst thing that, that you could probably imagine. I can't imagine losing my spouse. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you have been close to it, uh, have faced that situation. It's a, it's a terrible thing to imagine. I can't even fathom. I'm not even going to let myself go there. I'll cry my way all through the whole message, so I'm not even thinking about it. Melody's fine in Jesus' name. Uh, but, but just imagine uh, how difficult this must be for, for this woman. She lo she's lost her husband, but not only she lost her husband, now the day and age in which they lived, if you had a debt that you could not pay, they had the right 
to take someone into slavery to, to earn the debt, to pay the debt back. And so she's faced with losing her two sons. And we don't know how old her sons are, but we get the impression that they're probably older children or younger teenagers somewhere in that age, uh, old enough to, to work, old enough to help, but not old enough to support her. Her husband's gone. He can't. These kids aren't old enough to take care of mom, but they are old enough to go work for somebody and, and help pay off the debt. So she's in this terrible place. And if anybody ever had a reason to question God, if anybody ever had a reason to doubt God, if anybody ever had a reason to say, God, you've abandoned me, you've failed me, it's this woman, right? Like her family was dedicated to proclaiming the truth of God. She married a prophet, a man who, who lived his whole life to tell other people the truth of who God was. And now he's died unexpectedly. She's lost him, and now she's about to lose her sons as well. If anybody ever had the right to look at God and say, why, could you, why would you do this to me? Who do you think you are? It was this woman right here. If there was ever a person who was in a situation where it would make sense for her to turn away from God and try something else. Try the world's way. Try to figure out some way to do this on her own and say, you know what, God, I tried your way. It didn't work. It got me into this mess in the first place. It was this woman. And yet she understood, even in the moment of her greatest need, even in the moment of her deepest pain, that the one place that she could go to find the, the thing that she was looking for, the one place she could go to have her need met, the one place she could turn to somehow find a way out of this was to go to God. How many of us, this is not our default. How many of us, we look to everybody else, to everything else around us, the first time trouble comes, and God's the last place that we go to. I want to tell you right now, this morning, if you're in a place of lack, the first place you need to do, first thing you need to do is go to God. The first place you need to go is before his face. You've got to go to him first and foremost. And, yeah, you're probably saying, okay, I already know this. I know to go to God. I wouldn't be at church if I didn't know to go to God. That's why I'm here. How often do you do it? When you're really in a place of need, when you're really in a place where something is coming up short, is that the first thing that you do? And you may think, well, you don't know my situation, and you're probably right. I don't know the depths of your situation. I don't know the details. But I dare say there's nobody in this room right now whose situation is worse than this woman. If it's worse than this woman, it's not worse by much. Uh, the economy falls apart. Your house gets foreclosed on. You lose your house. They're not coming and taking your kids to pay off your debt. We don't live in that culture anymore, praise God. None of us have ever faced this level of depression. So whatever you're facing, I want you to know, it's not more than God can supply. If he can supply her need, if he can meet her where she's at, he can take care of you. Go to God. Second thing, you need to face your situation. Face it head on. Don't try to run from it. Don't try to hide from it. Don't try to sneak away from it. Face your situation. Don't run from the devil. He's a bully. You run from him, he's going to keep on picking on you. He's going to keep on throwing rocks at you. You got a bully in your life, you need to turn around and punch him in the face. All right, sometimes you just need to look the devil in the eye and say, I ain't bigger than you, but I know somebody who is. And he's in me, and he's given me the authority to be greater than you. You got to face your situation. She does this. She says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. She doesn't beat around the bush. She humbles herself. 
and admits the very depths of her situation. She doesn't try to sugarcoat it. She doesn't try to, to put on a happy face. She says, this is exactly where I'm at. She faces her situation. First thing they teach you when the, they start training you how to do pastoral counseling, which I'm not very good at, I will greatly admit. Uh, but the first thing they teach you is that when you're talking to women, it's different than talking to men. And most of you guys, if you've married, you figure this out for yourself. But they teach you that uh, when you sit down with the woman and she has a problem, uh, that she's not necessarily looking for you to tell her what to do to fix the problem. She probably just wants you to listen to her. And I am terrible at this. If you're a woman, don't come to me for counseling. I'm just telling you. This is not my default at all. I'm like, you're three sentences in, and I've already got four ideas on what you need to do. And I'm like fighting them back long enough to where I can hear you tell me the whole story. Uh, This is just not my gift. I find encouragement in this passage because look at how terrible Elisha is at this. She tells him the problem. Look at how compassionate and how kind and how nurturing he is. How can I help you? What do you have in your house? He doesn't take any moment to build her up. He doesn't tell her not to cry. It's going to be okay. He doesn't even stop and pray for her. He just gets straight to the point. Here's what needs to happen. You need to tell me what you got in your house. So what is he doing? Is he, is he trying to rub her nose in it? Is he trying to make her feel even worse than she already does? I, I don't believe that's what's going on here. I believe that Elisha understood a principle about the kingdom of God that that we all need to burn into our soul, and that is this. Before God can give you a miracle, you must follow his instructions. Before God can give you a miracle, you've got to follow his instructions. And in order to do that, you've got to face your situation. You've got to look at the place that you're in, at the thing that you're going through. You've got to acknowledge some things. Maybe you've got to say, okay, I made some bad decisions to get myself here. Maybe you need to say, I lacked some wisdom. Maybe you need to admit, okay, I'm in a tough spot and there's some factors working against me, but I'm not going to hide from it. I'm going to face it head on. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to address it. I'm going to deal with it. You got to face your situation because in the power of God, there's no situation you can't face. On your own, it may be too great for you to face it. It may be too great for you to look at it, but with his power, nothing is too great. I think that's the word of God for somebody today. Face your situation. Quit trying to pretend it's not there. Quit trying to ignore it. Quit trying to hope that it goes away. I've tried this many times. It doesn't work. Tried it with vehicles. Yeah, that sound's going to go away one day. No, it doesn't. It goes away because it stops running, okay? It gets worse. You got to face the situation. You got to take the vehicle to the shop. You got to take the steps to address it now because if you just keep trying to run from it, if you just keep trying to look the other way, it's only going to get greater. Face your situation. I believe one of the primary reasons that Elisha wanted her to face her situation is because he wanted her to realize the situation wasn't actually as bad as she thought it was. One thing about lack in your life is that it's going to make things seem worse than they really are. When things are going bad, when you're coming up short in one area in life, a lot of times it's hard to appreciate the areas that you're blessed. It's hard to realize all the great things that God has given you in life because all you can see is this area that's short. That's where this woman's at. She sees no, ha- no hope. In fact, this is point number three for you to write down. One of the main reasons that God brings us to his word, the re- one of the main reasons we need to go to God first is this, is number three, so you can check your perspective. Check your perspective. I want to encourage you today. 
If you're in a place of lack, if you're in need of resource, if you're in need of finance, if you are coming up short, check your perspective. Elisha asked her, what do you have in your house? And watch the woman's first response. They call this, in neurological studies, they call this automatic negative thinking syndrome. They call it, you said ants. You've got ants on the brain. If your first thought is automatically far more negative than reality. Check out what this woman says. He poses the question, what do you have in your house? She says, your servant has nothing there at all. First response, I got nothing. There is nothing in my home. I am out, empty, zero, nothing. Oh, by the way. I do have a little bit of oil. That's it. The strategy of the enemy, when you have a shortage in life, when you don't have enough to pay your bills, when you don't have enough to meet your needs, when you don't have enough for whatever it is that you're looking for, the strategy of the enemy is to tell you that you have less than you even do. He's going to try and convince you that you have got nothing, that you are not blessed in any way, that God has forsaken you, that he has left you high and dry, that you have zero. It's the way that he works, and it's a lie. You've got to confront the lie. You've got to check your perspective and realize what you really have. Instead of looking in your house and asking the question, what do I not have? Look in your home and ask the question, what do I have left? What do I still have? What has God still given me? What can I still hold on to? So her first response was, hey, prophet, Hey, Pastor Elisha, I don't know if you heard me the first time, but your servant, my husband, he's dead. He made all the money in the family. I stay home and take care of the kids. We don't have any income. He didn't make that much to begin with. We didn't really have very much. So now he's gone. Now they're coming to take my kids. We don't have anything in our house. We are broke. We got zero. We got nothing. This is her response. And then she's like, oh, well, I mean, you probably wouldn't even be interested in this, but I guess... In the back of the pantry, there's a couple of drops of oil. I mean, it's not much. I mean, it's old. It's, it's kind of stale. It's kind of funky. It's not that good. But there's a little bit of oil in there if that's going to do anything. But, I mean, the, the oil is this, and our need is this. Like, I don't even know why you would ask, but that's what we have. And the beautiful thing is that Elisha isn't intimidated by that. See, because all that God needs to work a miracle in your life is all that you have. That's all he needs. I'm going to say that again. All that God needs to work a miracle in your life is all that you have. And if all you have is a couple of drops of oil, that's enough for God to work a miracle in you. So this lack that she has, this little bit of oil, this couple of drops, this does not scare off Elisha. This doesn't bother him because he knows it's enough. I don't know if anybody has informed you about this, but I'm going to remind you about it one more time. My daddy, your daddy, is rich. I mean, filthy, wealthy, rich. Owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is loaded. You are from a very, very wealthy family. You have a massive inheritance. Now, I'm not sitting up here and saying that, man, you just got to name it and claim it, and you're going to have $10 million show up in your mailbox tomorrow because I tried it and it didn't work for me. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm just kidding. I didn't try it. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen unless you've got a need for $10 million, and God might send it to you. Uh, but he has more than enough. God is not running short. God is not broke. God is not on a budget. He's not worried about running out at the end of the month. He's got plenty of everything that we need. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you need to be. So Elisha doesn't flinch in verse 3. He says, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. 
Don't ask for just a few. I love that part. Don't ask for just a few. You better go get some jars. You better expand your definition of neighbor. It better not be the two people that live next to you. You better be going to houses around the block. Get as many jars as you can get your hands on. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, and your sons pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. There's no oil yet. A couple of drops. But Elisha is telling her how to make room for the oil that's to come. He's telling her how to prepare for the oil that God is going to send, for the oil that she doesn't have right now. You see, it's all about perspective. Some of you are asking God to give you provision in your life, but he's not going to give you provision until you adjust your perspective and start to look at things through his mindset, start to look at things through his economy, start to look at things through the lens of his word. The question isn't what don't you have, it's what is in your house. What is in your hand? What is in your heart? What has he given you? What do you have right now? Because it's the thing that you have that's going to be the key to your miracle, not the thing that you don't have. That's what the key was for her. It's the thing that she had. And all you really need to do to get a new perspective of what you do have is start to look at things through a global perspective. And you'll see how incredibly blessed we are here in America. Uh, A friend of mine went to Kenya back in September and went over there to work with a missionary and uh, actually with a pastor in one of the slums in Kenya. And as he went to Kenya, uh, he started collecting some very specific things that they needed. You see, the girls over there in Kenya, they're getting into prostitution at very early ages because what happens is they get their first menstrual cycle, they have their first period, and their families are so poor that they can't afford feminine hygiene products. And so when they get their first period, they, don't, they can't go to school because they can't clean themselves. So they drop out of school, and they go to work as prostitutes so that next month they can afford the hygiene products when they have their next cycle. And so my friend, who's a guy, starts recruiting bags and suitcases full of pads and tampons to take to Kenya. And I was just imagining him going through customs and I thought it was awesome uh but but the truth is man when you look at the need in other places that a girl can't even afford a feminine hygiene product and she's got to go sell herself into prostitution to be able to have that my need doesn't seem so massive my need doesn't seem so great all of a sudden when I get that perspective now I can tap into the fact that I am so amazingly blessed Sometimes all it takes is a little perspective. My parents live in North Carolina. It's where I went to high school, and I got a good buddy that goes to a church down there, and he goes to church with this guy. This is a true story. They had snow a couple of winters ago, and they had just a couple of inches, and it's kind of about the same there as it is here. Like, when snow comes, the whole place shuts down. Uh, You know, like, we, we get half an inch of ice, and nobody goes to school for three days. It's pretty much the same situation. Uh, and so they don't get a lot of snow. And so he, he's got a couple of boys, and the snow came, and he decided, I'm going to take my boys out, and we're going to build a snowman. So they get out there, and, and they're trying to build a snowman, and he figures out pretty quickly that he doesn't know how to build a snowman. He does not have this experience in his bank. So he's starting to, like, throw some snow together, try to make something happen, and the boys are really disappointed. And so kind of out of uh, insecurity, I guess, he tells him, well, there's just not enough snow for us to make a good snowman. Like our little two-foot snowman, that's the best we can do with the snow that we got. And so the boys, you know, they're young enough, they trust dad, whatever he says is true. So, okay, cool. 
So they decide they're going to go sledding. So they grab the sled, and they go walk down the block, and they start passing other houses. And the kids start seeing other snowmen. And they start looking at Dad. Dad, they got the same snow that we got. How come they got a real snowman? And you might see where this is going. You see, somebody has got just as much snow as you got, and they're doing more with it. Somebody's got less snow than you've got, and they're doing more with it. See, many times it's not really the fact that we don't have enough snow. It's the fact that we don't have the right perspective. And one thing we've got to do is we've got to check our perspective. We've got to really look at what God has given us, what God has made available to us. Instead of constantly saying, man, I don't have enough to make a budget. I don't have enough to pay my bills. I don't have enough to tithe. I don't have enough to do the things that God's calling me to do. Somebody's doing more with less snow. We've got to figure out how to make the most of the snow that God has given us. Two years ago, Melody and I were in debt up to our eyeballs. And uh, we had credit card debt and school debt and house debt and car debt. And just if we had just debt you could have, we had it. Medical debt, like any sort of something before debt, we had that. And uh, we were just caving in. We were falling behind every month. It was just getting worse. And uh, I remember we sat down and we decided we were going to make a budget. And that's like a dirty word to me. Because budget, like, like I'm the guy, you know, somebody wants to go eat after church. Let's go, man. Let's take everybody. Like, I, you know, I don't like to have to live with limits. Uh, and of course, this is how I got in debt in the first place. You're starting to, starting to realize how I got to that situation. So, uh, so we decided to sit down and we make this budget. And, uh, and we realized we had to start cutting some stuff out. Like some stuff had to go if we were going to make our, our snow go anywhere. And so we cut out, we got rid of cable, we got rid of high-speed internet, we canceled the gym membership, we quit eating out, uh, we, we got rid of a, pretty much anything that we could figure that we could live without. We got rid of it. And what's amazing is we had more snow than we realized we did. And as soon as we really started to cut things out, as, really, as soon as we really started to get serious about making progress, uh, that stuff started to go a lot further than we realized that it could. We started to, to really pay some things off, and I can't sit up here and say that we are 100% out of debt today, uh, but I can tell you we have no credit card debt and no car debt. Uh, God has brought us a long way and very, very little medical debt. We are most of the way out of that as well. Um, it's amazing how far your snow will go if you'll really be serious about using it with some wisdom about using some stewardship, about applying it the best possible way that you can. It requires us many times to check our perspective. God can do exceptional things with your exception. She said, I have nothing except a little oil. This reminds me of the story in the New Testament when Jesus is out preaching to 5,000 and he calls his disciples. He says, these people need food. What do you have? Like, well, we don't have anything. We went and surveyed the crowd. All we have is two little loaves and five little fish. I mean, that's all we've got. We've got nothing except this. But what's that going to do among so many? And Jesus goes, and you know the story. He feeds them an all-you-can-eat buffet with more than they could have left over. They're taking home doggy bags of fish sandwiches. Why? Because God can do exceptional things with your exception. They had nothing except some loaves and some fish. This woman had nothing except some drops of oil. God can do exceptional things with your exception. Two weeks ago, when we kicked off this series, if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go to citychurchob.com and check out the podcast. One of the 
greatest messages I think that God's ever given me the opportunity to deliver. But I told you to dig some ditches. Dig some ditches. Today I'm telling you to get some jars. Start collecting some jars. Start making some room for God to do something in your life. Why do we collect jars? Number four, it demonstrates faith. Number four is demonstrate your faith. I think that's the whole point of collecting the jars is to demonstrate faith. It would have made so much more sense to go to the neighbors and ask for oil than ask for jars, right? Like, what good is an empty jar? These are just borrowed empty jars. She can't even go sell the jars. So all she's doing is collecting some empty jars. In the natural, the gospel doesn't make sense. In the natural, God's plan for us never makes sense. It always looks crazy. It would seem to make so much more sense to go and get some oil. But if she'd have went and got some oil, it may have paid some bills, but it wouldn't have opened the door for God to do a miracle. And God wanted to show how powerful he was in her life, and I believe he wants to show how powerful he is in your life, to your neighbors, to your family, to your loved ones. He wants them to see it through you. In so many ways, it's really all about the jars because the oil is something only God can give. Just like two weeks ago, we looked at the water. Only God can send the rain. Only God can multiply the oil. The oil is symbolic of God's presence, of his power, of his supply. Only God can do that. But we can all collect some jars. Collecting jars is work. It's not the funnest thing to do. You got to go door to door. You got to start asking people. They're asking, why do you want my jars? What are you doing with my jars? might look a little weird. It might require you to humble yourself a little bit. It might require you to build some muscle, haul in some jars from the neighbor's house. It might require you to get a little sweaty, but we can all collect some jars. And as we collect jars, as we do the part that we can do, we are making room and making opportunity to do, for God to do the part that only he can do. We do the natural. He does the supernatural. Say it all the time, but it's true. He's always waiting for us to do it. And you know, when Melody and I were first asked to take over this church back in uh, early February of 2012, almost one year ago. Uh, we were asked, most of you know this, some of you may not, we were asked to take over the church for six months. We had already made plans. Uh, we'd already resigned, and we were planning on moving to Dallas uh, to go pursue some ministry training because we were going to plant a church. We were actually looking to plant a church uh, in Washington State, and that was the thing that we felt like God was leading us to, and I so when we were asked to take over the church, it was with uh, the stipulation, hey, can you guys take over the church for six months? Will you guys take the church for six months and just help keep it alive, help the church survive long enough for them to find a new pastor? And that was actually the terms that we agreed to take the church on. Uh, that was the, uh, the first thing that we said. And within about two days, God really convicted us that he wasn't asking us to take over a church to help it survive, that God wants to build his kingdom. And if God is not a God of simply survival, but God is a God of growth. God is a God of victory. God is a God who is moving forward. And I don't know if we're going to be here the rest of our lives. I don't know if God's going to move us on one day. Our lives are in his hands. But I know that as long as he has us here, we're called to build something. We're called to build a church that glorifies the name of Jesus in a community that is lost, that is hurting, that has so incredibly much need. We're called to do something. And I believe that, that God has great things for us in 2013. I believe that this is the year that this church grows. I believe that this is the year that this church goes to multiple services. I believe that this is the year that we say things happen at this church that we've been praying for for nine years. By the way, our nine-year anniversary is in six days church will be nine years old you know the average church if, if a church plant is going to die it dies in its first five years city church ain't going nowhere 
We are past the time where that could happen. God's got something for us, and it's not because he's got this amazing, incredible pastor in place. That's not it. He's got something for us because we got an incredible Jesus. We got an incredible God who died for us, who shed his blood for us to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, to meet needs, to reach the lost, to heal the broken. He's called us to build something, and I'll be real. I'm tired of God's church, and I'm not just talking about city church. I'm talking about the people of God having less than the world does, having less faith. Jerry Jones can go build a $1.15 billion football stadium. He can spend, like, millions of dollars for a screen in the stadium, and we can't build a church and reach the lost in Olive Ranch? No, I don't buy that for one second. MTV can pump squillions of dollars Squillions, that's right. I looked it up. You can do the research. They can spend squillions of dollars to pump filth down the bloodstream of your kids, and we can't build a church to show them the love of Jesus? No. We're called to build something. We're going to build something. Oprah can found her own network to cover the world with Oprah. And my Bible says that the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. We're going to build something in this church. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God is good enough that he could use people as fallen, as weak, as messed up as us to take his glory into a community? Because I believe that. God is calling us to build something. He is not calling City Church to survive. The days of survival are over. The days of growth, the days of progress, the days of meeting needs and reaching the lost. They need to start. I'm not going to back down. I believe it with all that I am. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't have stayed here if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't have given my life to this if I didn't believe it. I'm not going to back down. I would encourage you to not back down. And I'm mildly excited about it. I'm just a little bit pumped up about it. Because I think we serve a God who's good enough to do something through us. And I don't want to make today about hype and motivation. I can do that anytime. I get fired up easy. That's just who I am. But I want to leave you with something very practical. The most important thing I can pull for you out of this passage is point number five. You want to see the resources of God poured out into your life? You got a number five. Make a plan. Make your plan. This is the equivalent of you going home and saying, we're going to sit down and make a budget, like Melody and I did two years ago. This is the equivalent of you going home, sitting down with your spouse and saying, we got to figure out how we're going to be tithers. We are committing to honor God with the first 10% of our income going forward. Quit praying about a situation that God has already given you clear instructions about. Quit praying for God to provide something when he's already said the key to opening the floodgates in your life of my blessing is to bring the first 10% of your income into the storehouse. And I know that that's a scary thing for some people to hear. I know that's the kind of thing I say, and somebody may not come back next week. And I say that very, very cautiously because I don't want to lose anybody. But I want to see you blessed. I want to see God's kingdom blessed. I want to see people reached for the glory of God. And this is the recipe. This is the way that God has designed for it to work. Some of you know that for you, you just this message is for you. Some of you know that God's speaking to you right now, that this is the step that you have to take. You've been putting it off. You've been procrastinating it. You've been hiding from it. You've been scared of it. You don't know how it's going to work. But you know that this is God's call for your life today, to give that first 10% to your local church. Some of you, 
you've tithed in the past, you've done this in the past, you've taken that step before and something happened and threw you off and got you off track. It's time for you to recover your spiritual momentum. It's time for you to get back. It's time for you to return to the place that God has called you to. See, momentum is simply consecutive small victories. Man, take your next paycheck. Take your last paycheck. Start there. I'm not asking you to go back and try to pay back tithes. This ain't the IRS. We ain't worried about that. I'm telling you to say from this day forward, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to follow his word. I'm going to be crazy enough to believe that the way that God's word described it is actually going to work. And that when he says to test me, that he's actually going to come through, that he's actually going to prove himself in my life. Don't drag your feet. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. I'm telling you, it will pay off in your life. Let me say this. If this isn't your home church, if you're visiting today and you've got another home church, don't tithe here. We're not asking for your tithes. This is not a fundraising campaign. I'm not unveiling plans for a new building. Like, this is not what this is about. This is me as your pastor having a heart for God's people to quit living in lack and to start living in supply. And the greatest way that you can do that is to come in honor and respect of God's word to get your life in line with what his word has to say. I've been a tither my whole life. My parents put the tithe into me from a very young age. My parents were not pastors. They were just average church-going people. They taught me to tithe. I remember being like three years old, I got a $2 allowance. And I remember my mom telling me I had to put two dimes in the offering uh, every week, or every two weeks, actually. We got two bucks every two weeks. Some of you, some of you kids think you don't have much allowance. I bet you get more than two bucks every two weeks. Uh, but that's, that was where it started for me. Uh, and I've tithed literally my entire life. There was two months as an adult where I missed out on tithing, and God convicted me like crazy, and I had to repent. And I'm not saying this for my glory. I'm not saying, look at how great I am. I'm just saying I am smoking the stuff I'm selling today, okay? I believe in this product. I'm not putting it out there for you, trying to get you to buy something that I don't believe in. And I'm trying to break it up a little bit because it's a heavy topic. But let's be real. I believe in this. This is who I am. If you don't know me, if, if we haven't had the chance to get to know each other, I am a messed up dude. I've got all kinds of junk and flaws in my life. But this is one area that I know that God has shown me his word, and I have honored his word, and he has honored me for it. And I'm so grateful for it. And my heart is for you to have that same revelation, to have that same testimony, to be able to say God is faithful. Last year, God laid it on my wife and my heart to, to increase our tithe from 10% to 15%. And I, I, we actually just worked on our giving statements this week. They're going out at the beginning of next week for everybody who tithes. And I got to see ours and found out that we increased our giving from 10% to 15%. And in so doing, we gave twice as much money as we did the year before. You can do the math. Our income increased. And that's not because City Church paid us more. <laughs> that's other sources for that. Our income increased as we increased our giving. God is faithful. He's faithful. This year, he's put it on our hearts to give 17.5%. And that really messes up the math because that's hard to figure out. But we're doing it. We're being faithful. I imagine next year he's probably going to call us to go to 20 or something crazy like that. I'm telling you, I believe in this. I was a tither long before I became a pastor, and I'll be a tither long after I've left the ministry. It's who I am. It's who God has created, I believe, all of us to be. And this is not exclusively a tithing message, but this is one incredible application of it. If you're coming up short, if you don't have enough supply, if you need some resources in your life, one of the greatest ways to unleash God's blessing is to begin to tithe. Let me say this too, in case anybody's worried. I'm not looking for a raise. I'm not trying to get more income. This is not about me increasing the paycheck. 
This is about you getting blessed and God's kingdom being built. And that's all it's about. That's what I believe in. We need more jars. We need more resources to go out there into our community. Man, we've got a vision this year. We're going to do four Mission OB projects. Our next one is going to be spring break. We're going to be talking about that here very soon. We're going to go into our community four times and do great things to bless some people. But that's just a little bitty, teasy bit of the vision. Next year, I want to do 12. I want a Mission OB project every month with us going out and doing something to show people the love of God. And if you don't know what Mission OB is, I don't have time to explain all of it to you, but basically it's, it's providing food, providing clothing, providing needs, meeting needs right here in Olive Branch. As we've started to do it, as we've started to go out and discover the need, we've been blown away with how much need there is right here in our backyard. We don't have to go to Memphis to meet needs. And one day we're going to. That's in the vision, too. That's down the road. God's called us to start where we're at. And so, man, as we do, that, that's the vision. We need some jars. Maybe you're giving, but you're not stewarding. Maybe you're more like I was two years ago. I was tithing, but I wasn't being smart with my money. I was just blowing my money. I wasn't a good steward. Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas, man that I admire so much, the guy that I think is the, the greatest guru on scriptural finance, he teaches these two things. He says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have more than enough in resource in your life, number one, be generous. Number two, be a good steward. Maybe you need to go home and make a budget. Maybe that's the plan you need. Maybe you need to go home and figure out how am I going to take care of my money? How am I going to use it better? Maybe you need to get rid of some stuff like we did. You know what? We survived without cable. I missed the internet more, way more than I missed cable, actually, as it turned out. That was a lot harder for us. Uh, cable was fine. I, it wasn't a big deal at all. It's amazing what you can live without. We, we had to go down to one vehicle for a year and a half for the two of us. And it really wasn't that bad really wasn't that tough. I'm not telling you to go sell your other vehicle. I'm not telling you to go down to one vehicle or get rid of cable. I'm saying if you don't have enough to honor God's word, maybe there's something you need to get rid of so you can. If you don't have enough to be a good steward of what you have, if you're blowing stuff and you're coming out negative at the end of the month like we were, figure out what you can live without because there's something. Because I believe that God's given you enough. I believe that God's given you enough supply. And I believe that when he sees that you're making room in your finances for him to come in and bless you, he's going to blow your mind. But he's got to see you make some jars, build some jars, get some jars, collect some jars, put the jars out there, create some space for God to do something great in your life. Make a plan. Our father is not poor. He's not short. He is not the God of enough. He is the God of more than enough. He is not the God of lack. He is the God of abundance. He has plenty to meet your needs. He has plenty to bless you. He has plenty to take you to a whole new level in his kingdom. And I believe this. If you will position yourself to receive from him, if you'll collect some jars, if you'll make a plan, if you'll demonstrate your faith, if you will do these things, you'll be better off, your family will be better off, and God's kingdom will be better off. And I can't imagine a better thing than for us to have a church full of blessed people that are blessing others, that are watching God do incredible things. I'm excited about it, not just mildly. I lied to you earlier. I'm really excited about it because I believe God's got big things in store for us. I think he's got big things in store for you. And this is a nice little side bonus, but it's really going to tick off the devil. He hates nothing more than seeing God's people blessed. He hates nothing more than seeing people take a step and begin to give, than seeing God's people take a step and build a, make a budget and begin to be wise stewards of what God's given them. You want to punch Satan in the nose, this is a great way to do it. 
and he will back down and back out of your finances and out of your life. What plan is God calling you to make? Commit to it in your heart, whatever that plan is, whatever he's spoken to you today, commit to it and work that plan just like this widow did and watch God come in. Remember what we said at the beginning. He didn't just give them enough oil to meet their need. He gave them more than enough because that's who our God is. He's the God of more than enough. Let's pray.